0: Good morning, Sycamore, present in the building and joining virtually. uh, I'm delighted to be here. And so to uh, the saints here at Sycamore, to the representatives from James River Presbytery, I bring you greetings from Trinity Church in Orangeburg, South Carolina, Um, and just could not be more delighted to be here with you today to rejoice, to celebrate in the good and gracious provision of our Lord Uh, for Christ's church. God just keeps on doing it, doesn't he? He keeps on providing for his church again and again and again, giving gifts of his grace. Uh, And some of those gifts are leaders. Some of those gifts are the shepherds and the pastor teachers that that he raises up and that he calls to particular congregations. And that truth that he does that comes straight out of the passage that we're looking at today in Ephesians 4. I imagine it's a fairly common enough passage that you would turn to uh, for an occasion like this one. It speaks directly to God's provision for the church, it speaks to his desire to see his church grow up and mature and flourish. And all of that takes place in this passage, and we will read the whole passage to give us a good context for what we're looking at but then I want to zero in on just the first two verses that's where we'll spend the bulk of our time because I think that's where the key is to actually finding to actually realizing all that growth and maturing and building up that is the goal for the church and I think it's those first couple of verses that will also be the key to addressing the unique situation here at Sycamore Church in this pastoral transition and in her next season of life and ministry together. So I want to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Even if you're at home, stand there in your living room, there around the kitchen table, that our physical postures might be a reminder to our hearts of what it is that we're doing right now. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Paul speaking, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bless the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Would you join me now in prayer? O Father, Son, and Spirit, would you come in these moments, this is a holy day. This is a holy moment. As you speak to us, would you speak clearly? Would you speak with power, with transforming power that comes through this double-edged sword that is your word? Would it penetrate all of our hearts? Would you glorify yourself In each of our lives, in the collective life together at Sycamore Church, for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So, why Ephesians 4? And why specifically these first couple of verses? I think they're needful. I think they'll help us address the elephant in the room. And this is the part where I'm hoping that Sean doesn't regret inviting me to preach. What elephant am I talking about? Well, I remember when Sean texted me uh, to let me know that the church he'd been interviewing with, the church that, quite frankly, he he had his hopes set on, that he texted me that he had become the search committee's selection. And he was over the moon. Uh, and he told me what church and where the church was. So we ended our text exchange, and I did what any good friend should do. I started Googling. <laughs> where is this church? Who is this church? Is it going to be a good fit for my friend? All right. And So I found you all, and I found your website. Very nice, by the way. Well, what about the pastor? Who was the pastor there? Click, 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 search, search, search. Okay, so Harry, all right. So Harry has been here and he's retiring, all right, that's good, no scandal. Uh, now, dig a little more. How long has Harry been here? Who were the other pastors before Harry? Click, click, click. Oh. That's a really long time. Harry's been the only pastor. He was the organized. 38 years. Are you regretting this yet, Sean? Y'all, this is the elephant in the room. You know that there are statistics about this kind of thing, (laughs) about the tenure of the second guy who comes after the organizing pastor or after a pastor who's been there a really, really long time. Pew Research does these things. Barna does these things. But I didn't look up any of those stats Because I don't want to discourage anybody. I don't want to be Debbie Downer. In fact, never mind. Just forget I mentioned it. Let's move on to Ephesians 4. (laughs) But actually, it is Ephesians 4. It is Ephesians 4, specifically these first two verses, that by God's grace, I think, can... And we'll address this elephant in the room that can allow you, Sycamore, and you, Sean, to buck the trend, to begin to skew some of that research and some of those stats, whatever they happen to be, and bring glory to God in the process. So let's dig in. What is God's good and gracious plan for his church in general? And I think for this pastoral transition at Sycamore in specific, Paul starts in verse 1 with a command, with an urging to walk. He urges the Ephesian Christians there at Ephesus to walk. Now, it's not literal walking. It's a metaphor for living. And some translations just go ahead and translate it. I urge you to live. I I wish they wouldn't do that. Paul knew the word for live, and he chose instead the word for walk. There's a reason there. He wants us to think about walking. And so I thought about walking this week as I studied this passage and wrote this sermon. I thought back to what it was like to be a young parent of an infant soon becoming a toddler, and always being asked, oh, has he started walking yet? Has he taken his first steps? And I remember being so eager for our first to take his first steps, so excited when he finally did take those first faltering, stumbling baby steps. They weren't very pretty, actually. It was quite awkward. Technically, it might not have even been walking. It was more just falling in a forward direction, out of balance. But it went down in the baby book. It would have been posted on Facebook and Instagram if it were today. Yes, walking is a great metaphor. And I'm so glad that Paul used it to talk to us about life together in the church. For most grown-ups, Walking is rather basic. It's ordinary. It's humdrum. It's, it's pedestrian. right? And very often that's life in the church. It's not always fireworks and rainbows. Sometimes it's just putting one foot in front of the other. Walking. It's a great metaphor. But note how Paul is urging the church to walk. Walk in a way that's worthy. Walk in a way that's worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's going to need some unpacking. So let's start with the calling itself. Now, Ephesians, like many of Paul's letters, starts off with a big section of describing how God has called us to him. Describing in great detail his sovereign grace, in calling a people to himself. Chapters 1-3 through 3 of Ephesians are rich. They are rich in gospel glory and beauty. Describing, first off, the fathers choosing us before the foundation of the world. Then describing how the son was sent to redeem us. And finally giving us his spirit to seal us and guarantee the hope that we have in the gospel. And what is truly amazing is he does all of that despite the fact that we see in chapter 2 that we were all and he uses the word walking again we were all walking as dead men and women in our trespasses and sins that's what we were doing when he did all this what an amazing gracious calling with which we've been called And so we're supposed to walk worthy of that. The idea behind that word for worthy has to do with bringing up one side of the scales. So picture, if you will, an old-fashioned scale that's got two platforms balanced on a midpoint. And you place our gracious and amazing calling in one side... And now we're supposed to take our lives, our walking, our living, put that up here. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't budge. Friends, I hope that you have tasted the wonder of the Gospel enough that when you hear something like I urge you to walk in a worthy manner, that your first most instinctive thought is something to the effect of, nope, (laughs) that's not going to (laughs) happen. That's impossible. Are you kidding me? That's impossible. You and I, left to ourselves, can't begin to get that scale to budge, in the other direction, to come anywhere close to actually walking lives that are worthy of our calling. But the good news is, we've not been left to ourselves. We, we saw that in, even in verse 7, just reading through the passage. Grace has been given to each and every one of us, grace that supernaturally enables worthy. Walking Sycamore Saints, Sean, you're not capable of walking in a worthy manner. Brother Harry, you're not capable of walking into and through your retirement in a worthy manner on your own. You can't do it. And this is by God's good and gracious design that he has placed every single one of us in a state of perpetual neediness and dependence upon him so that if you and I should happen to stumble and bumble our way into worthy walking it's only through his transforming and enabling grace working in you and through you specifically as you guys all take baby steps together in this transition and here's what those baby steps will look like look at verse 2 there are four of them humility gentleness patience and forbearance in love these four things elaborate on what this worthy walking will look like. These are the keys. These are the keys for you, Sycamore and for Sean, for your walking together in this next season. And we should note at the start that these four, right, none of these comes naturally. None of these are default human qualities or Behaviors And if they exist, and to the extent that they exist in any of our lives, they exist supernaturally. They do so as the Spirit bears them in our lives as fruits of the gospel. This is His work. So, what would this look like for y'all if the Spirit, the Spirit bears these four fruits in your lives in this next season? How about humility to start? Now, humility is evidenced, it's seen in a lot of ways. One of the things that humility does is it says, you know what, I don't know it all. I I, I don't. I, I don't perfectly understand every situation and circumstance that I'm a part of. Humility especially says, you know what I don't know? I don't know other people's motives. See, humility assumes that I don't see the complete picture. Now, this, of course, comes to bear in a church's relationship with her pastor. But it also comes to bear with the individual members and their relationships, one with another, their relationships with the leadership. Now, I'm sure that your church is a bit different. I'm sure that this pandemic that we've all been dealing with hasn't provided any opportunities at all, any situations, any discussions, any disagreements about how best to proceed, to meet or not to meet, to mask or not to mask. To sweat to death out on the lawn or to spread all our germs in here. Oh, y'all, by God's grace, may our first stance be a humble stance. Be a stance that says, you know what, There's, there's more for me to learn here before I jump to any conclusions or make any decisions. Now, closely related to humility... Paul pairs it together with with gentleness. By God's grace, you're going to take baby steps together humbly but also gently. So there's tenderness here, Uh, there's compassion here, there's empathy here. If we're gentle, we'll consider each other. What's the other person thinking? What's the other person feeling or experiencing here? You might get a reaction from somebody and you sit back and you say, gosh, this is a really strong reaction from this person. And if I'm harsh, I'm going to say, "Man, they really need to get a grip, don't they? But if I'm gentle, I stop and I say, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder why they've reacted and responded the way they have. I bet, and this goes back to humility, I bet I don't see the big picture. I bet there's more to this story. Now, one important thing to realize about taking these baby steps by God's grace is that it's not super efficient. You travel rather slowly taking baby steps. It takes extra time, and it takes, number three, patience. you got to be patient. you got to be patient when you don't get what you want when you want. This is a tough one for a lot of us, I think. I know it's a tough one for me. Yet another reason why my scale on my own, it doesn't budge. <laughs> We stink at being patient very often, even though God has been, oh, so patient with us. Long suffering, the King James aptly puts it. We can't muster up much, if any, patience on our own, but as the Spirit causes the gospel to come alive in our hearts, it will slowly but surely bear its fruit, even of patience. We've got to be patient even for patience. Fourth in Paul's list, and very closely related, is bearing with one another. Forbearing in some translations. So what's the difference between patience and forbearing? Honestly, not a whole lot. But I do tend to think about forbearing in the context of when you've been wronged by someone. When someone's hurt you or offended you, Now, I tried to think back over nearly four years of ministry together with Sean. I tried to think, but I could not think of an instance where Sean sinned against me or wronged me in some way. That's not to say he's perfect, far from it. He's a big old sinner, actually. And now he's come to Sycamore, of all places, a church full of big old sinners. So here's what you need to keep in mind. Elders at Sycamore. Sean. Members. When you have sinners in relationship with other sinners, there's going to need to be forbearance along the way. And note well how Paul says that forbearance will happen and should happen. In love. Bearing with one another in love. And so I thought about that a lot this week. About what forbearing in love would look like. And so of course I thought about 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter. Which for some strange reason is always at wedi- weddings. It's not about weddings. It's about life in the church together. That's what it's about. Love is patient And kind, it's not jealous, it's not arrogant, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It bears all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And so I thought about it some more. I said, you know what? Maybe Sean did sin against me while we were ministering together. Maybe he he did, and I just don't remember it. Or maybe he didn't. Just didn't even register at the time. It just wasn't even a blip on the radar for me. And I think that that's possible. You know why it's possible? Because I love Sean. Grateful to Sean for his friendship. For his ministry. See, forbearance happens and can happen when you love someone. Opportunities for forbearance will come. Right? It's not an if. It's just a when. But here's the thing. You're going to come to love Sean. And so some of the things that Sean does that might have been little blips on your radar, they're not even going to be blips on the radar because you love him and you're grateful for what God's going to do in and through him. And Sean's going to come to love you guys and things that might would have been blips on his radar won't be blips on his radar either. You see, just like Peter said in his first epistle, love does cover a multitude of sins. But again... Again, guys, don't think for a minute that you can muster any of this up on your own. Your mutual love for one another, that will be the result of you all basking in the gospel together. Right, so think back to Ephesians. Think back to the context. Where does this urging to walk worthy, where does it come? Right at the beginning of 4. And this is just like Paul. Paul always gives the commands, the imperatives, the practical application after a deep dive into the gospel in all of its beauty and all of its glory. And the same is true here with this command, this urging to, for you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. It comes immediately after what he's been praying in chapter 3. And what's he been praying in chapter 3? What was he Begging God for, for the Ephesian saints, and by extension for the Sycamore saints, and by extension for our saints at Trinity in Orangeburg. He's begging the Lord that they would have the ability to comprehend the incomprehensible. To be able to know that which surpasses knowledge. What's he talking about? He's talking about the love of Christ. The love of the one, the only one, who's ever displayed all four things in our list right here perfectly. Oh, the humility. The condescension to take on flesh and to lower himself. To endure humiliation and suffering. Oh, think about the gentleness and the compassion. His patience. And especially his forbearance with those of us, all of us, who have wronged him and sinned against him so. And yet, despite all of that, he loved us supremely. He loved us sacrificially. He substituted himself in our place. Friends, to be loved like that changes you. From the inside out, the love of Christ is wider and higher and longer And it has unstoppable transforming power. Power enough to take arrogant, harsh, impatient people like me and like you and to give them, to make of them humble, gentle. Patient for bearing it truly is the power of the gospel it's the spirit coming in power and bearing the fruit of the gospel in our lives that's what's going to allow you all to take baby steps together walking worthy of your calling and as that happens you're going to be so blessed oh you're going to be blessed sycamore But more importantly, God will be glorified and Midlothian will be blessed. Midlothian needs to hear of this life-changing and transforming love of Jesus as he's freely offered in this beautiful gospel. And if you all walk worthy together, they will know. If you glance down through these verses, the rest of the ones that we're not really even going to look at. You see all the glorious results of walking worthy together. Uh, Verse 3, you're going to maintain unity. Verse 12, you're going to be equipped for ministry. The body will be built up. Verse 13, you're going to grow in maturity and stature. Verse 14, you'll be stable. You won't be tossed about. In verse 16, the body here will be built up in love. And of course, you know that's how Midlothian's going to know that you all belong to Jesus. Is because of the love that you have for one another. So Sean, it's baby steps. Sycamore, it is baby steps. It is, it is by God's grace that you may walk worthy together for the glory of God and for the good of Midlothian. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful and glorious gospel. That it isn't just good news that we hear, it's good news that gets inside of us with unstoppable power and you change us from the inside out for your glory and for the good of those around us. Lord, you bless us that we might bless those around us. And Lord, I just beg of you, Would your supernatural transforming grace be so powerfully at work here? That this pastoral transition bucks all of those trends and skews all the statistics and brings you great glory and honor. And indeed, great good to the city and to her inhabitants. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.